bright day 264 welcome back to the windows and mirrors podcast my name is keith and remember this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the bible is more like a window than it is a mirror we come to it to see through it and to see god not to it to primarily look at it and see our selves i'm excited because we get to jump right back into the book of acts right so chapter five of the book of acts picks up where chapter four left off talking about the holy spirit uh ananias and sapphira were two people two early christians who were scheming they they sold uh their properties and unlike my man joseph in chapter four who who took all he had and laid it at the apostles feet they held what they had back so peter checks uh ananias and he says um why has satan filled your heart to lie to the holy spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land now this is so good knowing a little bit of context is okay ananias didn't have to sell his property and he didn't have to give anything but the very fact that he finessed the church right that he uh was scheming against the church by acting as if he gave in all he had was the problem here in this text right he did this to get a greater type of honor we know from uh the first century uh from the other believers and ultimately he was being deceptive and so the cup the couple ananias and sapphira basically wanted honor at the expense of sacrifice right they wanted uh exaltation at the expense of humiliation and listen notice the irony in contrast peter asks why has satan filled your heart right because why does he do that because satan is the ultimate deceiver and whenever we get caught in the sinister scandal or deception uh we are perpetrating the ways of the evil one right and so in this story he drops dead and she drops dead right and it and it it seems harsh but um i think in the context knowing and understanding what uh luke is trying to get across as he's reporting these events makes helps us make more sense of it listen god wants to protect the purity of his church right god wants to protect the holiness of the community that is uh, filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Listen, the Holy Spirit had formed this new community and thus to lie to those that the Spirit empowered as leaders was testing of the Spirit himself. And it's interesting because of the the progression and contrast in this text, right? The church was filled with the Spirit at the end of four and Ananias and Sapphira were filled with Satan, uh, according to Peter, at the beginning of five. And now towards, as we move, In the text toward the middle, the high priest and the Sadducees are filled with jealousy at this community and the very healings uh, that they are doing uh, and providing. And so Peter and his peoples get thrown in jail, right? And then they're broken out by an angel, right, who tells them to go back to the temple areas and preach the gospel. And so they obey, right? And so in in chapter five, Sanhedrin, which is is, uh, the Jewish uh, kind of priestly court, uh, they say, yo, Peter or Peter and the apostles say to them, uh, we must obey God, right? Rather than people, right? The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had murdered by hanging him on a tree. God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Generally speaking, um, according to Peter and according to the Bible, uh, we obey man's laws, right? But when man's laws, when the laws of the land, wherever we are, contradict God's laws, <laughs> We obey God's laws, right? We obey our king. And I think that Christians, um, according to the book of Acts, and some some, some really good work has been done on this, um, some academic stuff, but uh, I think that Christians ought to live in such a way, not that we purposely break the law for the heck of it, uh, with the reductionistic veer of I'm obeying God, but that we should live in such a way that it deru- disrupts the political structures of our day, right? That it's an anomaly, right? And because our deep... But and, and this should be because of our deep right em, embodied commitment to the gospel of Jesus, uh, not uh, for any other reason. And so uh, Acts, Acts chapter six comes and stuff gets good. 
ethnic tensions begin to come in the church, right? So you have this Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews. Remember, Hellenist uh, uh, is just uh, those who were of Greek culture, right? And possibly um, descent. And these widows were, were taken care of by the community as those that were vulnerable and needy among them. And so the disciples, they raise up seven leaders, right? Full of the spirit, full of wisdom <clears throat> that are appointed to adjudicate such issues between these two groups. And at the end of the narrative, we get introduced to a man named Stephen, right? Who is a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. I love that. My professor used to always say, we need to raise up uh, people and ministers in the church who are full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Um, and the Jewish elders and the people uh, take my man Stephen before the Sanhedrin. Uh, and the very things they accuse him of are very interesting. Listen, blasphemy, speaking against God, the temple, against the law and against Moses, and that should sound eerily similar. Why? Because Jesus was seized and taken before the Sanhedrin in the court and on trial for the very same things. And so you see the apostles not just moving in the power of, of Christ and the gospel. Uh, they're not just uh, um, uh, performing the same ministry as Jesus, but they are going undergoing the same route, right? The same persecution, the same suffering as Jesus. And this is this is um, paradigmatic for us in a way, right? Like we work in the power of the spirit just like Christ did, right? But at the same time, we undergo the same sufferings right as our messiah we fellowship in his suffering this paul says in uh, philippians 3 uh as the messiah did if we're actually following the messiah Acts 7 comes and once he goes before the sanhedrin we have the longest speech or sermon by anyone in the book of acts now stephen's main argument right his thesis statement among other things is that um him and his contemporary uh, uh apostles and disciples are being treated in the same way the fathers treated joseph moses and the prophets right in other words stephen's gonna say fam uh, you know, with the disobeying of God, uh, they're going to say that he's disobeying God, but they were the ones who were really disobeying God and persecuting his leaders. And they've been doing this. <laughs> they and their ancestors have been doing this since Abraham. And, and so it's funny because uh, Stephen is going to preach this sermon, this redemptive historical sermon where he's going to span across redemptive history, uh, tying threads. And, you know, he starts with Abraham. Now, notice he doesn't start with Adam. That's very interesting. Why? Because uh, Abraham, according to uh, uh, Jewish uh, Second Temple literature, according to the Bible, uh, Abraham was the father of the Israelite people. Israel actually started with Abraham, right? Humanity, humanity, humans started with Adam. Israel started with Abraham. That's why Paul, even when he goes into the text, you feel me? He's always going to go back to Abraham. Anyway, so people, he says, he says, brothers and fathers, he replied, listen, the God of glory, <laughs> the God of glory. I love it. Ooh, appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran. Why is that good? Why does he say that? He says, well. I'm trying to show y'all, y'all are persecuting me because y'all are saying I'm speaking against the temple. But God, the God of glory, appeared to Abraham long before a temple even existed. In fact, he appeared to Abraham before he was even in the land. <laughs> so he was going to go and say, he's going to go and say further, like, and then look at Moses, right? In Egypt, right? God met him in the wilderness, right? At Mount Sinai, at a, at like, it's, it's. It's, 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 it's preposterous what y'all are trying to charge me of. He's saying, no, no, God is not confined to a building, a people group, a denomination, or even a region, right? God is the God of the universe. And so, in other words, these re religious structures that y'all are trying to persecute, persecute me about don't guarantee God's favor, right? And so Stephen is going to say, bro, like, remember the exodus from Egypt and the wilderness, right? They had the tabernacle in the wilderness, remember? And cats was worshiping golden calves, gee? Like they was wilding. And so the tabernacle, not only, not only does the tabernacle and temple not provide in, uh, is a, um, 
kind of like token that you have God's favor and that you are uh, um, uh, um, faithful. Like uh, uh, so it's not a um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not a uh, 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 something that necessarily secures faithfulness. All right. right? But, but from from God's people um, and you can just look at history and see that. Right. And that and that God is not confined to the religious structures and things that we build. Right. But he is so much bigger than that. Right. And so um, Stephen is going to say. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit as your ancestors did. You do also. And by the end of this text, we see the first Christian martyr, uh, Stephen, right, being killed and literally uh, just like his Lord, uh, whom he saw as he was being killed. Uh, he echoes the words of Christ, right, asking him, asking the Lord to receive his spirit. And as he takes his last breath, he asks for their forgiveness. And again, man, um, you know, the cross, I always say this, the cross is not just the way we become Christians, but it is the way of the Christian life, right? It is about uh, being able to sacrifice and suffer for the sake of the gospel, right? And whatever that looks like for us today. Acts chapter 8, last one of this bunch. Um, remember the thesis statement of the book, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You have my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And now here we see the, the, the Christians going to Samaria, right? And the progression that Christ spoke of is taking place. Remember, geography for Luke is never an accident, right? And so they're going to Samaria. And it's interesting <clears throat> because we talked about this some in John chapter four, but Samaria was the region of the Northern Kingdom and Samaritans, right? Were half-blood Jews that Jew or, or yeah, half-blood Jews <clears throat> that Jewish people had problems with. However, <clears throat> what we remember from the prophets, Isaiah 11, Isaiah 49, Ezekiel 47, <clears throat> is that the 12 tribes would be restored. And so in other words, the, the, for them to go to Samaria, where the northern tribes was, was was was, was Luke's way of saying <clears throat> that the, the 12 tribes were being restored, right? That God was restoring his kingdom and his people. Um, and so here it's so interesting because they are scattered. Right. And, uh, and uh, they are scattered because of the persecution in Jerusalem. And they had to scatter to the regions right outside of uh, Jerusalem, uh, uh, to Judea and Samaria. And the beauty is that once again, you see the church growing under persecution. Right. Right. All throughout the book of Acts, the church is going to grow under persecution. Right. That pressure could get on in, in, in God's people, but going to flourish. Right. And I think that we, we see that even amidst persecution, fam, like, listen, man's attempt to annihilate God's plans only leads to the advancement of God's plans, right? We've seen it in the cross. We've seen it in the personal work of Jesus Christ, right? They tried to do away with the Messiah and the kingdom actually sprung forth and burst open. You feel what I'm saying? And the same thing is happening here with the early apostles, right? The same thing is happening in churches in China and all across the world. That's not America, right? Like literally uh, for people that are being persecuted for the faith in those regions, the church is actually growing. It's so weird, right? But God just does things. God's ways are not man's ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Now we have Philip who was um, one of the seven from Acts and uh, uh, from Acts 6 here uh, on the ground, on the trenches, right? Giving out the gospel. Peter and John got to come lay hands on them brothers there uh, so that they can receive the Holy Spirit, right? This is descriptive, not prescriptive. Why? Well, there's this literally this shifting of redemptive history, right? The purpose of Peter and John coming down was to show that the Samaritans, right? Those who Jews have formerly despised are part of the Christian community as well, right? That they are in connection with the Mother Church of Jerusalem. They are uh, a part of this restoration project that the whole New Testament is actually about, right? The restoration of Israel, the restoration <clears throat> of God's people and the fulfillment of God's promises. Second half of Acts 8 talks about the Ethiopian unit. And we have Philip meeting this unit who was probably a Gentile. We don't know. Some will actually say he's a Jew. That's actually a debate and scholarship about that. Whole nother podcast. But he's a Gentile. But he becomes a Christian, right? 
and um, it's so funny because he's Ethiopian, <laughs> right? Surprise. Um, he's Ethiopian. And I heard, I think I heard one pastor say this. He's, um, it said, uh, it says, um, you know, the gospel went to Africa before it even went to Europe. Right. And so you see that, um, the progression, and, and this is so true historically, because, um, if you look at, uh, ancient history, right. Alexandria, even, even that's just Jewish history. So even before the new Testament, uh, uh, Alexandria was a hub of early Judaism. And then, um, when you have the new Testament, it's a, another hub, Africa, Northern Africa, church fathers, um, is a hub of early Christianity. And so the gospel went to Africa before it went to Europe. Why do I say that? Well, uh, it's interesting because, you know, um, one, uh, if, if he is a Gentile, let me say this, uh, in a sense, this guy is the forerunner of the, and a representative of what will take place throughout the rest of the book, right? So, so, so the unit <clears throat> is representative of what the movement of the book is about, the gospel going to the Gentiles, to the pagans, to the people that don't know God, to the Roman, to, to the wider Greco-Roman world. Now, we see God behind this because the text clearly says that who told Philip to go there? The spirit, <laughs> the spirit told him to go. So you see the spirit is the one kind of acting, right? And now remember, the spirit is the one that Jesus actually poured out. So, so Jesus is working through the spirit. We said that earlier. Okay. God is showing us that the gospel clearly runs though across racial lines, right? It is clear, right? It is clear. Acts chapter 11, we're going to get that tomorrow. It's going to say, no, the first time they were called Christians when the multi-ethnic church was gathered, fam. No, no, no. It's the gospel is about... <sighs> It's, it's so hard to capture the gospel in one, one statement, right? But the gospel is about the reconciliation of Jews and Gentiles, them becoming one body under the Messiah. No, no, no. That's that. No, no, no. That's what Christ's death, burial, and resurrection accomplished, fam. And so, this first Gentile convert, if he's a Gentile, according to the scriptures, was an African. That's so wild. Why? Because we live in a day and age, especially in the African American community, where people want to say Christianity is a white man's religion. That is so wild. That is so wild. And I think if anything, if Satan wanted to do anything, fam, he would try to convince us. He would try to convince specifically. I'm talking about African-American brothers and sisters right here. He would try to convince us specifically that Christianity is a white man's religion. And that is a lie. And he's been lying from the beginning. John chapter eight. He is a liar. He's a father of lies. And so I rebuke the devil in the name of Jesus Christ. I rebuke him in the name of Jesus Christ. And I tell all of y'all who listen <laughs> that that is not true. And don't believe lies. Read the book of Acts. Read the scriptures, read it, read it, read it, and um, I'm done. Let me let me let me pray. I'm getting too hyped. Let me pray, Father. We ask um that you would help us not to believe Satan's lies, Lord. We 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 see the beauty of the gospel and how it goes to affect the regions of the earth, the peoples of the earth, Father. And you are very particular about the the, the ethnicity of these people because those things matter to you, God. And you you are trying to have this worldwide kingdom where there's a beauty and diversity of colors, of people, of races, of nationalities, of languages, all singing uh, uh, to the same Christ. <laughs> and it's so beautiful, God, that your Messiah, um, yeah, is, is king over the universe, Lord. And we have this glorious future to look forward to where we'll fellowship with our brothers and sisters under your reign forever, Father. I pray that we have a vision of that today that would lead us to uh, reconcile and have, and have unity and fight for justice and solidarity across racial lines. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.